talking Toro 60. Dustin Hoffman's back, Rob. Walter Mazzari. He's got the Napoli job. So where's Ventura going? That's my question. You, you, are you excited? I genuinely, this is the first, I've not even seen this. I've just, I've, um, that's the first time I heard it. It makes more, a little more sense now. Okay. I just, I scrolled on Twitter and saw when somebody, uh, put in Mazzari's spell at Napoli where he, uh, knocked Man City out of the Champions League. Now there's a little bit more context for that. I just thought it was just like a lot of, a lot of Walter Mazzari fans out there. Um, yeah, strange. But, well, shows what a poor job Rudy Garcia was doing. Yeah, I'm not, I, I think it's a better appointment than Rudy Garcia, to be fair. I'm not sure it's been rubber stamped, but I know it's a really weird thing. I was looking at the um, fixture list, uh, Toro's fixture list, and we don't play Napoli until we've played Lazio and Genoa for the second time. Hmm. Um, and then we play Napoli something. I might be exaggerating. It feels like we play them twice in like six weeks. Um I don't know if something happened with a round of like whether a round of fixtures around the new year. I actually, oh, may, I might be answering the question myself. I think it's because of the Super Cup. Ah, got, that got moot is around the new year, and I think we were playing Napoli. So yeah, we don't actually play Napoli. Uh, we, we have a double header with Mazzari if he's still in the job by then, or if, maybe maybe um, Garcia will be back by then. But they, they did um, they changed a couple of seasons ago where obviously previously in Serie A the fixtures were a mirror image, so you the team you play first would then be the in the second half of the season, you'd still play that same team, but they changed that um, probably a couple of seasons ago. So, yeah, it's not quite that mirror image. So we, we won't end um, our season against the team that we played last in the first half of the season. I think I've explained that right. Yeah, it used to be a lot better the way it was before. It's, it's a kind of um, Premier Leagueism they've taken, but yeah. they've taken they've taken a bad one. Yeah, so one of the, the few they, things of Italian football that kind of made sense. But yeah, they, they had the FA Cup right there, but they were like, "No, we won't do that. We'll continue with this um, rubbish Coppa Italia, and we'll just um, borrow this." Yeah, because so, like I say, it ends up. I know, I know there's reasons for the Napoli game, but you you can end up, especially in England, you play uh, the same team sort of six weeks apart, which doesn't really doesn't really make much, well, uh, I, much sense. I, I think had we gone through in the Coppa Italia, we may have played Napoli another time. I don't know when that match is, whether it was before Christmas or after, but there's a chance we would have had a lot of games against Napoli in a short spell. So um anyway, Rob, uh, if anyone missed it last week, we are we were Turin bound, aren't we? On the first week of December. Match tickets sorted, courtesy of you. Uh we're we're in we're in town for Torino Atalanta. Um I don't think we're going to I don't think we're going to the Huntsman pub. I think we uh <laughs> I think we uh we ruined our cha- ruined our chances of um of uh getting a special lounge in in there. It's full of gobby anyway that that place. So. I think if we um I'm going to get I'm going to say this now just so it's the nearer it gets to it the more chance I've got jinx in it. But we I'm staying so it's 10 years since my first ever solo trip to Turin when we also played Atalanta and we're staying or well we are staying and I'm staying in the same hotel that I stayed in in that trip and we won so if that doesn't tell you that no matter what the performance is on the pitch is going to be no matter who plays whether the Pata plays against his former team uh, whether Atalanta retired from the Europa League doesn't matter because fate has already decided that we're going to win Volta Bursa is going to sign online and score the winner that that bit might not be true my vision is Monday evening, Turin in December, game gets 
game gets cancelled because of the fog. <laughs> so it gets moved to Tuesday. We're already on the flight home. So no, uh, I mean that that would be a uh, yeah, that would be a disaster. But let, let's let's be optimistic. I prefer my uh, prefer my turn of events. Well, this is the this is the penultimate pod before I visit because it's international week. So we won't be back next week. We'll be back post Bologna and pre our trip to Atalanta. So we'll. Uh, we'll share some details of where where you may or may not find us um, ahead of time, and then if yeah, if anyone's going to be around in Turin, if you're visiting, if you're coming across for the match, if you're in Turin, um, get in touch with Rob and let us know. We're trying to sort out a venue for the Sunday evening, which is uh, Torino's 117th birthday. Have I just done that correctly on the fly? Um, so yeah, Rob will have us in McDonald's. Um, on the on Sunday evening, they do beer in an Italian McDonald's. Rob, you'll probably do like they? it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I think he, I think even we will find, even we can find a better venue than uh, Italian McDonald's. So, okay, I don't think I've even had a McDonald's in Turin. Oh. But, yeah, no, we'll, we'll find something better than that. Don't you worry. First time for everything, which is a beautiful segue. First time for everything, Ricardo Rodriguez. He, oh, I was gutted on Saturday evening when he slammed home that an absolute beautiful goal. And uh, only for, I think that it was fairly rapidly disallowed, but that felt a bit heartless to me. Well, I'm sure the referee was fully aware of that being, <laughs> that being Rodriguez's first goal for Torino and then just thought that's why he was uh, ruled out. I think we had a we had a conversation a couple of episodes back about who would score first, Rodriguez or Dembasek. Uh, I'm still taking the third option that neither of them will ever score. Um but yeah, very strange decision that one because it looked like the referee sort of had waved play on uh, and allowed the goal. To, I, I was, I'll be honest, I was surprised that they didn't blow a whistle for a foul. Not that I thought it was a foul, but it's just a sort of decision that a defender usually always gets. Um, but then it didn't even look like it went to VAR. It just seemed to be uh, very quickly just the game we played with with a free kick to Monza. So, um, yeah, an, an unbelievable finish by Rodriguez and probably a, a further case that given our sort of hatred of left footers in the in the squad, maybe plays a little bit further forward at, at some point once we get our central defenders back. Yeah, I, I thought the defending was very weak. The defender got rewarded for kind of... Um, falling kind over. Of, yeah, falling over, basically. I was going to say something else. But a pull back. Um, but yeah, no, it, that, that was this point. I thought Torino very good. I don't think the worst thing we did at Monza was score because as soon as we scored, we kind of didn't necessarily consciously sit back, but we weren't as good in the last half an hour. It became um, a bit of a cagey game. Um, Ginitis, should have he taken one for the team? I mean, A, I don't know what he was doing quite in that position because he'd come on for Carol Linetti. I couldn't imagine Carol Linetti being in that position. Which is and should he should have he pulled down? Could he have even got away with a yellow card if he pulled if he if he'd pulled him down? I, th- I think the it it's a it's a it's a catalogue of mistakes really because if you look at Ricardo Rodriguez, I know we just praised him, but his starting position for the left centre back is he's not in the position. Genesis is in 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 the place where Rodriguez should be. I'm not suggesting that uh, Rodriguez would have dealt with that any better because he's probably slower than Genesis if anything, but. There seems to be that's the reason why Jensen is in that position because he's already covering a teammate, and he there he does deal with it very poorly. Just he seems to think he's got more time than he does, and just dawdles on the ball. And yeah, I I agree that probably 
we, how long's left to go? Still, sort of half an hour left to go. If you yeah. if you take him down and, and get sent off, there's probably more chance that they they come back and win the game. At least it's only a goal. There still would have been opportunity for it to come back into the game. I think he probably does the right thing, and it's still a good finish. Maybe I don't think Vanya um, could have done better, but again, if it on a one on one like that, it's still it's not. It wasn't an easy chance. It was a good finish, and and maybe hoping that um, Vanya was going to bail him out. Yeah, I, I did wonder if he'd taken one for the team and then I, they would have had a free kick in a not particularly dangerous position. And then maybe our mindset does change and we 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 try and play it. We play a bit more defensively. I don't know if that would have worked or not. In hindsight, it's a great thing. But um, there were a few flashes in in the last 20 minutes or so. But I think we, we played definitely played our best stuff in the first half and that opening part of the second half. Uh, I think for me, the three five two is clearly... The kind of reboot um, the team needed. I think we're getting the a, a lot more out of Zapata in that position. Um, Ilic, uh, I listen. I've li- listened on um, the Toro News podcast. They were saying that Ilic has had some personal off the pitch issues, and um, which you, uh, you Richard alluded to. I wasn't aware of, and I don't know how true that is. But he certainly seems a lot happier the last few weeks, and and, and kind of. Getting back to form, uh, for the fullbacks Bellanova and Lazzaro were a lot better, or getting a lot better week on week um, in that position as well. And I think we, I was a bit disappointed in Snabry and Vlasic at Monza. I thought if one of them had stepped up a little bit more, um, that's where the, the kind of lack of quality was in just getting intelligent running around him. Um, but certainly, certainly played played very well. And uh, well, the, the kind of big talking point after the game is Cairo. It's a bit Cairo bingo, isn't it? It's always a point in the season where where he has a go at the they've had a go at the referees. Yeah, I think Torino the last few weeks, uh, certainly in the Coppa Italia and certainly in this match, have been on the wrong end of some decisions. Uh, I mean, strategically, what a pretty poor time to have a go at a referee when you got the referees union or whatever you're trying to get is you're trying to get a decision in the next match. Well, the next match not for two weeks, so it was a. In that sense, yeah, I don't know. Strategically, is the best time for rant. And as you pointed out the other day, Cairo's son is a is a referee. He, so. <laughs> he is. Don't think he'll be getting any Torino games anytime soon. No. But um, yeah, probably, yeah, it's a bit of a strange. Um, strange in the land bit, of in the in the land of nepotism, that would be uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Torino being refereed by the presidents. Must, yeah, I... the, the conspiracy theorists wouldn't. Yeah. Kind of uh, won't need much help with that one. But. The Cairo family must have a very thick skin, though, because obviously Cairo isn't particularly well thought of um, amongst the majority of Torino fans, despite what he says um, to the contrary. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you would imagine his son doesn't need to work at all, uh, let alone um, choose to just, I imagine, in the amateur, amateur leagues in Italy, not going to be paid much uh, just to be abused for 90 minutes. But... Um, yeah, good luck to him. I, I do think refereeing is um, one of those difficult things because obviously you need referees in order to um, play the game. Uh, despite what VAR will tell you, it's still important to have a, a referee in the in the middle. And it's I think some of the um, some of the stuff that happens in terms of or, or around around the around the world, but uh, especially in Italy, there is almost that sort of if a referee makes a mistake that they're corrupt, that's the immediate sort of go-to. Potentially there is historical precedent for that as well. 
Um, but yeah, there they, they were two very bad. We've had some very bad decisions in, in recent weeks. The two against Rosanone, um, the disallowed goal for Rodriguez here, and then also the last minute penalty shout for Lazaro. Um, I think if he goes down, it's a penalty. I, I, I feel I'm not quite sure why he didn't. Um, but yeah, he's quite clearly uh, the defender kicks his leg and and yeah, tries to be honest and stays on his feet, but he, he just does like a, a strange little pirouette thing. It wasn't like he was staying on his feet to to continue the attack. He just sort of, maybe it was just delayed reaction that he realised that he'd been fouled a little bit too late. But yeah, I'm surprised that one didn't go to VAR because you see penalties given for a lot less than that. I think if he'd gone down, they would have had a more of a look at it on VAR. And I think the fact he didn't, and I think the ref was probably looking at his watch thinking, I've just got to get through the next 15 seconds and people will forget about it. So yeah. felt a little bit like that. Um, I thought the atmosphere looked really good. It looked like, I hope, I got no kind of massive love for Monza, but I kind of hope they stay up. I um, mean, I think they will. So it looks like a good away day to go to. Seems to be lots of beer flowing in the away end. Um, it's all kind of open, uh, open to the elements, isn't it? Um, but it's a good, good Torino following there. It always looks good when you got the good away following behind the goal. Um, I just wondered, losing Linetti, I hate to break it to you, but it looks like Linetti might not be available for our trip. Uh, not not for the match anyway, might, maybe for the beers. Um, but Ginetti's, I just felt, it was probably, it would have been a game where if we'd had an Adopo on the bench, um, just felt like the profile, it would have been good to, well, I wonder if we'd have been better off pushing Tamese into, into midfield. Uh, where he's, we've kind of lost him completely, um, due to the defensive situation. And but maybe that would have been the smarter move. I think in... with um, yeah, sorry to get in there, but yeah, I think that is hope, the hope in the international break that will at least give uh, a chance to. I don't think we'll get Gigi back. We obviously not going to get Shkers back, but uh, Zima and Sazanov got a little bit more time to get. Um, well. In terms of They're both on international duty, could probably get is, him injured. Has Zima so. been, been called up? I saw, um, an, I saw, I saw that Torino did a social media thing with a load of flags, and I think ah, it's all Czech Republic flags. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, Zima's issue is probably actually um, match fitness, so that that might not be the worst thing in the world if he does get some minutes for the uh, for Czech Republic. Um, in that, we might be the long term solution to because otherwise, yeah, we look very weak in centre midfield. So you probably end into and you've got. Two defenders, effectively, who could, who could play in that position uh, in Zima and Sazanov. So, bring Tomeze back into the uh, midfield, and then yeah, that's a, that's quite a solid midfield three: Tomeze, um, Ilic, and Vlasic. Again, not so sure on Richie, um, what the update with him on his injury was. On, on, La- last was seen, before. last seen playing Coldplay acoustic numbers on his. He likes <laughs> he likes his. Uh... He likes his guitar post, doesn't he? So, um, last, last, last scene playing parachutes or something yellow or something. <laughs> Is he the entertainment for our meetup in Turin? Uh, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it'd be, it'd be lovely to meet him. Don't bring your guitar somewhere. Um, um, but if, um, but yeah, just a quick note on Lanetti. I just saw before we jumped on that I noticed that actually in the game itself that. Uh, Lynette had offered his um, warm-up jacket, which uh, you may have gone and purchased yourself, um, to one of the uh, uh, mascots before the game. It's quite a chilly night in Monza. Uh, and the parent, uh, I think it was the, the mum of the, the young lad, um, sort of emailed in to sort of 
email or, or put on Facebook or whatever people do nowadays to to sort of thank uh, Mr. Lanetti for the gesture. So yeah, nice nice little shout out there that he's um yeah just a, just a nice guy. Very good. Yeah, I, I um just finished it on Monza. I wasn't that impressed with Monza. They feel like a very kind of mid-90s Italian team, not just because they've got a lot of Italian players, but very functional. I mean, they weren't bad, um, but it really wound me up uh, the way Palladino celebrated their goal as if it was some kind of... He celebrated almost like it, it was a bit of coaching genius or something. Not do you, just, um, but do you remember when they do you remember when they celebrated the equaliser uh, against uh, Thor at home towards the end of last season? They also celebrated it as if they... Um, as if that was the goal they needed to like qualify for Europe or, or avoid relegation. I, I'm not quite sure if that's just how they celebrate every goal. No, it wasn't just the celebrations. It was just a kind of inherent smugness about it that it was a you know it was a pretty poor goal. Don't that begrudge him celebrating a goal, but um, I'm, I'm I'm not that bad. But um, yeah, it's just just the there's just something about it that didn't sit right. But am I right? Was Paladino close to getting? The Toro job at one point, or was he close to getting a youth team job? I felt like it was the, at it was some the youth, point it was the youth team job. Yeah, it, he he was going to get the youth team job when because Juric obviously knows him from Genoa. Uh, he was going to get youth team job. I think Juric earmarked him for it. Did he? I'm not sure if he went to Monza instead and then very quickly got the first team job. Um, but yeah, no, there was definitely some talk that Palladino was going to. Um, moved to Torino, but as as a youth, as a youth coach, which is strange because did they did they play three? Did they play three at the back? I yeah, thought they played. Uh, no, I thought I thought they played about four. I think the, but D'Ambrosio played as fullback, did he? So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe they're maybe they're flexible. But yeah, you you'd have thought with that that they might have been maybe like a disciple of the Gasparini Eurich school of of um, three. Well, what has now become three five two. Yeah, I wonder if he could be a possible Toro coach for next season, despite his uh, Juventus background. Well, there's a lot of link for um, Dionisi. Um, the Sassuolo coach that has been sort of in the press, I think, well, in, in the last couple of weeks when Juric has been in the pressure. But I've not been. He's, ter- he's terrible, Dionisi. Yeah, I've no, not he's been. Ter- he's at terrible. All with um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think. Well, I still not. We've still got a long, long way of the season to go. I think Juric will, will, will see out the season. I don't think we're in any danger of relegation. I think we are. That we've turned the tides turned a little bit. We'll get enough points against the the poor teams in the league to stay up comfortably, and and then whether we can whether we can break into eighth or ninth will be the question. Well, we're the, we're the third form team between the two international breaks. So only Juventus and Inter have got more points than us. <laughs> So it must it must be a league where loads of teams have just dropped loads of points over that. I, I was hoping to um, work out when the last time we had won four Serie A games in a row was, um, but obviously drawing means that we're we're not going to get that opportunity of three in a I row. Might, that if might be a question. Yeah, that might be a question. That'd be a question for the Christmas quiz. Uh, <laughs> Mace, Mace, if you lift it, listening, get studying, mate. Um, yeah, you, you've got you've got a feeling that it happened under Ventura, but. Uh, said, I remember I think it was, said, maybe in Serie B it happened, but yeah, maybe, Serie, not, maybe not in the top fight. Serie B, I can remember a few, possibly a few five in a row um, in my Toro supporting existence. But yeah, we'll have to have a look at Serie A. Uh, so we're going to flip it a bit differently this week. We've got a little feature for part two. So let's we'll talk about very briefly Bologna because it's 
relatively uh, still kind of a long way off. Uh, but so our next match, and then you're going to challenge me with this week's Toropedia. Uh, Bologna, Bologna have had a lot of praise this season, yet they sit only two points above us. Um, and dare I say, if we win, obvious thing to say is we'll go above them. So maybe it puts Torino's start a bit into context. Um, yeah, Bologna. They've they've actually only lo- they've only lost two games, um, but they have drawn uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, so that is potentially why there there's an there's an idea that their season's been better just because they've um, avoided defeat in so many games. Well, they've beaten Lazio and they drew with Napoli, and they came back to draw with Inter, didn't they? So they've actually done better against the bigger teams than we have. To be fair, they, uh, they did have a, did have a run of three nil nils in a row. Yeah, we. I mean, this is so since we the last ten seasons we've both been in Serie A. There's been ten matches, six draws, and then two wins each. And our two wins, um, you'll remember the last win because it was you know who who scored a ninety third minute penalty. I remember it because I was there as well. That's why I bring it up because yeah, <laughs> you, you do like you do like to bring it up. So. It's, it's I've seen so few uh, Torino victories, and it, I can remember. I can quite clearly remember the ones that I was at. Yeah, well, Bologna's never. I've never managed to. I've been to Bologna, but I've never managed to have been to a game. It, it is one year I'd like to go and see us play Bologna. Um, yeah, I just Bologna's. They got a little bit Udinese syndrome for me. I just can't ever get too excited about them. Um, and I think the issue I have with Bologna is when I first got into Italian football, they were for a long time a Serie B or even Serie, and they're in Liga Pro or Serie C for a few years in the nineties as well. So they've always just kind of. Yeah, they they feel like they're part of the wallpaper a little bit in in Serie A without actually doing that much. But maybe that's me being unfair, and they think the same way about about Toro. But um, yeah, this uh, I'll go first with the prediction. I think this has got another one-one draw written all over it. Heading head, heading into our big win over Atalanta. Um, given that I just mentioned that they have a propensity for a goalless draw. Um, they haven't had one for a while, um, so I've got a feeling that they and, and we've not had one um, all season. Either. Oh yeah, we had, Cali- we had yeah we had Cagliari and Cagliari and Verona as well. So and and Genoa was effectively um, almost nil nil. Um, so yeah, let's go for we haven't yeah we haven't had one away from home for a while. Um, yeah, let's go for nil nil. Because there's a while Bologna under who was it? Oh, under Mihailovic, I think they. Didn't they go like something like fifty odd games without keeping a clean sheet? I mean, that, uh, that could that, that could easily have been his uh, run at Torino as well. Yeah, there was something crazy. So, yeah, I mean, Orsolini's bound to do something. Um, I I had a look at their squad and I couldn't believe Kevin Bonifazzi. I was, I was surprised to see him there. Um, Lorenzo de, de Silvestri. Did you see his goal? Never, a couple, I, see his goal a couple of weeks ago. Oh, he's just he's got a big old nut, hasn't he? Header, so, header uh, from outside the area. Um, yeah. it's, it's nice to say to uh, there's article in the Athletic actually regarding uh, Lewis Ferguson. Uh, he's having quite a good season, and um, De Silvestri is quoted in there, sort of saying that he takes upon his role to sort of show new signings around the uh, city and, and things like that, which is quite similar to his role when he was at Torino with Joe Hart. So it's uh, yeah, and it just another shout out to uh, De Silvestri, one of the nice guys, and somebody who I yeah. again story I've mentioned again. 
but shared a flight with back to back to London um, from from Turin. You didn't well, share a flight. You were on the same. Flight. You shared the flight. I shared the yeah, flight. Yeah, there was just the two of us. We, yeah, we, yeah. Bought, we bought a private jet. So you're right. There's, there's um, something about something about the Sylvester Silvestri I never warmed to. Uh, something about him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I know it's not fair, but it's slightly irrational. Thing, even when he was a Toro player. That I mean, that could be a um, Torino eleven. Yeah. For the future. A rational, no, a rational dislike to Reno 11. He seems like a nice guy. I'm not getting it all wrong. Just never really, never really warm to him. Um, but yeah. Um, you, li- you like Carol Anetti, don't you? I like, yeah. Well, I've got Polish roots. So I, I, I'm actually quite, um, yeah, I've always had a bit of a, a soft spot for Polish players. So um, yeah, Linetti, big fan of Linetti, even when I wasn't a fan of Linetti. But yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so Bologna, I'm going. For, uh, so we're both we're going basically for a drab draw, leading us into uh, the Atalanta game. Um, so head of part two, Rob Toropedia. I'm just going to bring up the scores. Um, while you uh, you prepare yourself, son. I was gonna I was gonna be cruel, and then I thought it'd be nice. All right, so the scores on Toropedia. I'll give the scores on this season's predictions league. Uh, I only bring this up because I got my first three points in a long time uh, um, at Monza. So, yeah, it's 8-7 to me on the predictions. And on the Toropedia, uh, it's 7-3 to me for the season. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what we're betting on, but... I mean, you never got you never got your prize for last year because I just uh, ended up getting a, you ended up getting a second hand to no shirt from me. Oh, but yeah, well, it sounds like it's a McDonald's Happy Meal into your in. But yeah, <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll have to go again at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, I'll give you the years, clubs, and uh, appearance data as well. Okay, so nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty two, Torino. Uh, yep. Uh, 18 appearances, zero goals. Mm-hmm. 82 to 83, Reggiana, 30 appearances, zero goals on loan. Then 1983 to 1987, Torino, 93 appearances, eight goals. Then 87 to 1994, Napoli, 184 appearances, 10 goals. Uh, 1994 to 1995, Genoa, six appearances and zero goals. And then ended his career 1995 to 1996, Brescia, 30 appearances, zero goals. Okay. Any idea? Yeah, I think I got. Confident. I think yeah. I think I got that one. Yeah, I um, I, you I think was, there's a the eighties is a bit raw. Yeah, you've you've no, too too, too Leo gritty. I was because there's, there's a there's a tie in with uh, the feature in the second half as well, which which the I wouldn't the original person who I picked for the, for the for the Toropedia would yeah would not have fitted into the feature. So I thought I'd be a little kinder than I could have been. Yeah, I'm fairly. Co- I think I didn't get it. It was Napoli. I think I got it. Uh, I was a bit, I was a bit, wasn't sure where it was going um, until it got to Napoli. But I think, I think I got it. We'll, um, we'll wait for part two. Should we? Uh, well, in the second half, we're going to be talking about the Italian national team and 
Torino's legacy, I guess, or Torino's uh, relationship with the Italian national team. Um, so maybe if we play a bit of audio from one of the key moments, maybe a bit of Battle of Santiago, 1962. Yeah, we're they, 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 they got a very uh, yeah, English commentator is very, very flustered. But, all right, see you on the other side. See you then. Good evening. The game you're about to see is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Chile versus Italy. This is the first time the two countries have met. We hope it will be the last. Hello and welcome back to the Talking Toro podcast. Uh, before the break, I asked Peter for a uh, a question for a Toropedia, an ex-Torino player. Um, it seemed quite confident, so... Um, yeah, I think he may be extending his lead in our um, season-long battle. Um, Peter, who's the player? I believe it's Giovanni Francini, isn't it? That is correct. Yeah, yeah which which leads in quite nicely. I, I'm pretty sure um, he made four appearances. Um, might be may not may or may not be on your list, um, but yeah, he made four appearances for Italy whilst he was uh, a Torino player. Uh, and that is the sort of concept of this uh, list of 10 uh, Italian uh, national team players uh, who, for their contributions al- almost, for um, when they were playing for Torino and Italy at the same time. So obviously you've got players who left Torino or before they joined Torino had maybe made quite a, a significant impact on, on the national team. Um, but this is purely on their contribution to the national side whilst they were at Torino. Very good. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um yeah, I think when we, in the past we've done these things, we tended to either do the 11s or do a ranking. And we are kind of approaching it a bit like a ranking. But I think this is just this week's just a bit of storytelling. There's some good stories. And I think at the end, we'd, we're going to make a few based on each other's contributions as we go from 10 to 1. We'll, we'll, we'll vote for the, I think, the the best Toro player in the Nazionale in terms of what they did at the, in the, in the, in the Azzurro shirt. And then, um, maybe most iconic moment, maybe most influential person, but we'll, we'll get there. Rob, I was going to start off with, what's your own relationship with the Italian national team like? I, I'll start with mine, if it helps, because I, um, I like Italian football first became a thing for me, Italian 90, and although I'm English, England did well in that tournament. I was I really liked the Italian team as well, and we never actually had that... I know they met in the third and fourth playoff, but we never actually, they were kind of on two parallel but different journeys, both going out in the semi-finals. Uh, but yeah, I kind of really liked that Italian national team. England didn't qualify for 94. I was a mad Italy supporter in 94. Um, and I think 98, um, I definitely wanted Italy to do well. 02, uh, well, that's when I started working in Italian football for, for on Channel Four and for the magazines. I remember um, losing the, the game to South Korea and having finding part of it quite funny, um, and probably part of it being a bit gutted as well. And then I definitely wanted Italy to beat France in the '06 final, but I think since '06, I've not really my kind of I've not really been a big fan of the Italian national team since 06. I've kind of, even when, even when England uh, haven't qualified for things or I, I, this sounds bad because I, I love Italy. Italy's been a big part of my life, but just too many, too many Juventini sometimes, too much, uh, 
just a lot of a lot of stuff I haven't liked. I haven't really warmed uh, to the Italian national team as much over the past 15, 20 years. Um, and I'll ask you another, a second question related to this because I think this player might come up in our in one of our lists anyway, and then I'm going to ask you a question about that. And if it doesn't, just remind me at the end. But that's a little bit my thing. Yeah, I, I, um, like I would happily go and buy an Italy 94 shirt and wear it, but I wouldn't buy an Italy 2014 shirt and wear it. It's, it's, a, it's kind of, it's, yeah, part of my life I was... Um, yeah, kind of had quite a close attachment and affiliation and affection for the Italian national team. But I think since 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 they won the World Cup in 06, that's changed a little bit. Uh, but I wondered if your journey was similar, whether you were like, yeah, when you first got into Italian football, you were kind of a big fan of the of the Nazionale and whether that's changed or whether you still are. It's, uh... Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's similar in terms, obviously, um, just term of my sort of discovering of, of Torino and Italian football was maybe a little bit later, especially Torino. Um, so obviously I started becoming a Torino fan in 2005 and then literally it was the World Cup win the, the year after that. Um, so I definitely, I can't, I can't really remember being sort of massively interested in, in Italy's results prior to 2006, but like I say, World Cup definitely wanted them to win. And we, I remember being genuinely nervous for the final, which is a strange thing to say for, for somebody who isn't Italian. Um, and then I would sort of treat them almost as my second team. Uh, so if in a major tournament, if England hadn't qualified, such as 2008, or as soon as England went out, then Italy would be the team that I, I would cheer on and celebrate. Um, it, it'd celebrate if they won. Maybe not in the same way as an Italian would, but yeah, if in a major tournament, once your nation goes out, then you maybe find a, another team to sort of cheer on. Um, and then... Even up, I mean, this is probably quite bad to admit. Not in the the most recent Euros final, but the 2012 was it the quarter final uh, that went to penalties. Um, I was like on the borderline of who I wanted to win. England. Well, that, 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 yeah, well, that England team was rubbish as well. Yeah, the, kind the, of, but, it, it was and, hard and, to get behind. And there was a Torino link to it. I'm pretty sure Bonner was in the squad. Um, didn't play, but was in the squad. So I think that that my relationship with the Italian national squad is a lot stronger when there's a Torino player there to cheer on. So a Bellotti, um, a, a Cherchi, a Damian, who, who were both in the... Cherchi, Immobile and Damian, I think, were all in the squad. For, yeah, they were all in the squad for, for 2014. Um, so in that, in that tournament, I was almost, again, a, a poor England team, and a, a, an Italy side that... It's got three Torino players in the squad, an England side that's got no Southampton players in the squad, uh, I don't think. Um, I think, actually, no, I'm wrong. Lambert was in that squad as well. Was a conspiracy uh, theorist, Ricky Lambert. Yeah, Ricky Lambert, yeah, Ricky Lambert, which, which is surprisingly, uh, neither neither side did well in that tournament. Um, but, yeah, the, the, like you like say, in more recent years, um, the lack of sort of Torino representation and, yeah, the, there had been a, that spine of the team was, was very, uh, was very Gobbiesque. You, Bonucci, Giannini, um, Buffon for, for a time as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, like, I want Italy to qualify for every major tournament, then not being at the, the last World Cup. I think even people who don't have that affinity to Italy or Italian football would much prefer they qualified for tournaments, even, even than, than not, because I think they add a lot to the tournament in terms of, this isn't a particularly golden generation of of players, but even the national anthem, as soon as that that kicks in, 
uh, I think it's sort of it's it adds to the drama of a, of a big tournament. Yeah, I don't know if things changed for me when I went to live in Italy and I became I, I was the foreigner in Italy, and then you you kind of sometimes when you move to a foreign country, as much as you absorb the culture and the language and go all in for it you are kind of defined by your own, a little bit more by your own background and identity as well. So I don't know if I became, I wasn't necessarily a massive Eng- England fan when I was there, but I just, I wonder whether that kind of, yeah. And that, that around, like, lots, lots of Italy fans, especially during major tournaments, you actually end up, yeah, you actually end up being more patriotic about where you've come from, whether that's part of it. And then the other thing is, yeah, it's the Torino angle for for a long time, Torino just had nothing to do with the Italian national team. So it was in recent years that's changed, that's changed, changed a little bit. Maybe changed, yeah, changed from my side. Maybe wanting Italy to do to do a bit better. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think with with Bongiorno being called back into the squad, there is that potential there for look. There's a major tournament next year that will be. If if Bongiorno makes it into the squad, then that will sort of increase my interest. I'd still, again, Italy needs to qualify first. But if Italy qualify, Bongiorno makes it into the squad, that's going to give me even more reason for them to do well because I've got a particular player to also have that interest in. Um, and yeah, I think the the probably the the narrative shift is probably that when I was growing up, Italy were the 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 good national team in England were rubbish, whereas whereas now effectively that those roles have reversed. All right, well let, let let's shoot through this. Um, we'll go from ten to one, um, and yeah, where 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 we do land on one which is similar, then we can yeah we'll we'll obviously um, uh, t- talk through him as well. Um, so I just wanted to mention this this guy didn't make my list. Uh, it was a bit of a last minute change, but I don't know if he's in your list. But Enrico De Bernardi was he in your list? He was not no. No, so I just want to say he was the first and uh, Italy's first ever international nineteen ten. They beat France six two. He was the Torino representative. He was our first um national team player and scored in that match six two win. But he yeah, nice story, didn't make the cut, so I'm gonna rule him out. Ten to one. So who what have you got at number ten? I feel like you're going to hate my list, especially the early stages of my list. But I, I, I get, I've got to have some recency bias. There, there are there are some mixtures of, of generations and mixtures of eras here, um, including from times of far, far beyond even our memory, even your memory. Um, but um, I, I've I've gone for Alessandro Rosina as my tenth place, just because you play, obviously you play for Italy. He yes, he made one appearance, zero goals. Um, just because he was the first Torino player after the sort of bankruptcy in two thousand five, so he was the first Torino uh, player to, to to sort of uh, play for the national side after the sort of drama of two two thousand five two thousand six. So, um, I think he yeah, I think he he deserves a mention. Obviously, only one appearance, not particularly. If you think of uh, it's almost like a pointless answer, if you, if somebody was asking asking for Italian national team players, Alessandro Rosina isn't going to be the player that you're going to mention. Um, but yeah, more as a, a as a symbol of of that sort of emergence of Torino from the sort of again, I know it's the Cairo era, but yeah, the first he was the first player since I started sporting Torino who who went on to play for the national side. I think it was a friendly against South Africa, so not not a, not a big one, but yeah, still I'm sure it's sure it's important to him. Yeah, you'll you'll be shocked to hear he's not not made my list. But at, at ten, I have a similar story in that um, 
I've defined as unlikely caps. Um, so I've got Antonino Asta, who uh, must have been it must have been one of the oldest players to make his debut for Italy. He was 32, um, Sicilian, um, and got to play his one Italy match. I think he think Asta's from Trapani, and the match was in Catania. Um, just a really nice story, a guy who just spent most of his career even below Serie B, um, and then just had this one. I'd say one amazing season, probably like a really good 18 months uh, in Serie A. And I think that's just, yeah, a nice story about um, beating the odds, really. And um, just, yeah, just proving there's always an opportunity. And actually, uh, there's two other kind of one-cap wonders. Or obviously, one's not a one-cap wonder, but Emiliano Moretti made his debut, I think, at 33. Yeah. And made three or four caps. And then a little shout out for Andreas Ilenzi as well, whose one cap came in his mad goal scoring season and could have contributed to his infamous move to to Nottingham Forest as the first Italian player to play in the Premier League. So yeah, I think it's nice that we've 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 probably brought a similar angle from 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 yeah, different parts of our, our Torino supporting journey. But yeah, kind of I guess the one cap wonders have been dealt with. Um I'll go at number nine. Uh, I'll go first. I've got Bruno Neri, um, who, uh, is he on your list or? He was going to be. I'll wait okay. for your, uh, I'll wait for your explanation before I, I, I tell yeah. you mine. Yeah, I would say this is slightly tenuous, but he's, I actually saw something on social media recently about an Italian footballer in the thirties who refused to do the uh, fascist salute. Um, and reading he was a Torino player. Um, I don't think he was at the time of the salute, but the salute was when they opened the Artemio Frankie um, in the early 1930s. Um, and Neri was, yeah, the, 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 the players are lined up and he's the only one um, refusing to do the salute because the stadium was originally named after a, a, a fascist, uh, Giovanni Berta. And then Neri died uh, He basically became a partisan uh, during the war and was killed. Uh, killed during the war, but he did make um, three cap three caps for Italy. Uh, I think one of them was during his time of Torino, which was against Switzerland in, in Geneva. Um, it would have been, you know, a slightly more powerful story had had the salute been uh, while playing for the national team. But I think that kind of the whole the fascist era and football in the 1930s are just so very closely linked. Obviously, Italy won two World Cups, and I'll actually come to another story a bit later on, maybe a little bit the other end of the spectrum. Um, and so I just thought this was a nice kind of counterbalance to the story that will come, come later. And you had, you know, had, had this guy who was just, I mean, incredibly brave um, uh, to make the stance he did. So Neri, you know, Neri, it's I guess slightly tenuous in, in terms of contribution for playing for Italy, but I'm not sure we'll have too many other chances to tell that story. Yeah, that was a similar reason why Neri almost made my list. If you, uh, if anybody goes to the uh, Torino Museum in Gugliasco, they, they, I think they've got um, an old shirt from from Bruno Neri. Uh, it might even be an Italy shirt as well. Um, and that story is told. Um, I was very lucky to have an English tour guide able to translate it for me. But yeah, they they tell that story about how uh, Neri ref- refused to give the fascist salute. And yeah, I think had. Uh, that had been during his time for Italy, and he was playing for Torino at the time. Then I think maybe I'd have I'd have had him really high up this list uh, just for that gesture and and what that would have meant at the time. Um, 
but yeah, no, I would recommend anybody um, sort of who maybe not heard that before and has the ability to go to the, the museum. That might be something to look into because, yeah, very, very interesting story. Right, who have you got at nine then? Uh, yeah, it's going to be a change of tats uh, slightly. It's Andrea Bellotti. Um, uh, again, it's very similar. I tried to keep my sort of emotional ones um, quite down the list. And Bellotti for me, 43 appearances, the second. Uh, the player with the second most appearances for uh, Italy whilst playing for Torino. Um, I just, I think he is synonymous, obviously, with the sort of the past sort of seven, eight years uh, of Torino and obviously achieved the majority and potentially all of his national team success whilst wearing the Torino shirt. Um, played a part in the uh, European Championship win, obviously missed a penalty in the final, but scored a, a penalty in the semi-final. Um, and yeah, the, that, that uh, Sort of humorous. I mean, he had a he had a pretty poor tournament. But it was against uh, Austria, I think, in in the round of sixteen, where he comes on and makes some sort of uh, quite uh, quite brutal t- tackle on, on the halfway line. Um, yeah, which became sort of a bit of a, a viral uh, viral joke online. But uh, I think Bellotti, he's it, it, almost a little bit of a shame that he. he hasn't he obviously maybe peaked a little bit too early and, and his national team career seems to be seems to be at an end now. Uh but yeah, four to three appearances, twelve goals. I think that's that's quite an impressive return for, for a striker who wasn't always guaranteed to start. Yeah, Bellotti's not, not on my list, sadly. Uh don't think he had a ever had a particularly significant moment. Uh, I don't think he contributed that much to or had a particularly memorable moment in Italy shirt. Yeah, I know he won the Euros. That was my question is when he missed that penalty in the Euros, what was your reaction? Uh I was I, I almost it was almost a perfect situation for me because then I could tell all my friends that England would if England had gone on to win because Bellotti was down play he missed, that would have been a perfect situation. Because England would have won the Euros because Bellotti missed because a, a Torino player missed and that's why England won the Euros. Um but yeah it wasn't alas it wasn't to be I, I uh, Sancho, uh, Rashford, uh, and uh, Saka had uh, other things on, on on their mind to ruin that plan. But yeah, no, it, I think um, I, I weirdly I knew he would miss. I could I could tell um, as soon as he walked up to take the penalty. I thought he, he's definitely going to miss it. He just did not look confident. Um, and yeah, we see, we see he wasn't a great penalty taker for Torino either. So that that high pressure situation probably wasn't going to be for him. No, yeah, I know. We've talked a lot about Bellotti, I, and then he did get a lot of caps. I think it's a lot easier to get caps in the in the modern days. A lot there's a lot more international football. Not knocking his achievement, but I just think for me there are more compelling stories on the list. Um, number eight, I've got Roberto Musi, who's uh, a, yeah, a little bit kind of I mentioned that '94 World Cup where I was a big Italy fan. Um, only Torino player, I believe, to play for Italy in a World Cup final. Um, and interestingly, he so he was a former Sasaki so was a coach. I think he played for Saki at Parma, um, but but he he won his third cap in the quarterfinal, fourth cap in the semifinal, fifth cap in the final, and then was injured thirty four minutes into the final. Um, so I think yeah, to to represent Italy in a final as a Torino player. Um, yeah, so I believe he's the only player to have done it. So I think that's recognition in itself. Yeah, no, I I must I think I missed um, missed that whilst researching that that Musi had played in the final. 
Um, and yeah, I think that's a that's a fair sort of um, fair qualification um, status to to be in this list. Um, yeah, I think weirdly it might be a bit of a theme going on from this list, but uh, a lot of players uh, with a Torino connection don't manage to. They might start a game, but then not finish one. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe get onto that throughout the the rest of the list. All right. So who have you got at eight? Uh, so I've got Paolo Pulici as uh, my eighth. Um, again, I don't think he was as synonymous with the national team in terms of success as his strike partner, who may or may not appear later on the list. Um, but yeah, 19 appearances, five goals. Um, I think that probably shows that it, from the era, obviously long long before my time, but he was having such success as being Capacanieri in the league for a less fashionable club, even though Torino would probably at a higher level than they are uh, now, um, that 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 club form was being replicated at um, on an international level as well, so that you could it, your club form would, would get you appearances in the in the in the first team. Whereas now, if you imagine maybe somebody who's scoring goals at a sort of mid-table um, Serie A team wouldn't necessarily become a starter for for the national side. Yeah, uh, for, for the third one in a row, Pulic is not on my list either, but I think oh, it's wow. really a really interesting debate because uh, he was always the main man in the hearts of Torino fans as well over Graziani. Graziani's, um, Graziani's the most, um, I will going to come to him later anyway, but uh, the most capped and the most gold Torino player in the national team, uh, whereas Pulic got about a third of the caps and he said only five goals. And then I, I did do a little research because obviously they were the Gemelli de Gaulle. They, they were, you know, one of the famous strike partnerships in Italian football. And it was a spat. Pulici is a little bit older, I think. So was knocking around the national team a bit earlier, but it was a period around the time Torino won the Scudetto when they started some matches together. So there was a famous match in New York where England beat Italy 3-2. Graziani got two and they both played in that one. And I found a friendly in Turin in 1975 against Portugal, where they both scored in a 3-1 win. But Pulisic's were very fleeting. He was like in and out. The squads didn't seem to be... I think the likelihood was the likes of... There were likes of Anastasi, Boninsegna, Bettiga. And Graziano was probably a bit more of a foil. Um, and maybe yeah, by various coaches, Pulisic wasn't trusted. So I think it's a really interesting one to bring up. Um, but yeah, didn't... Didn't, didn't make my cut. So who have you got at seven, Rob? Uh, so this might be controversial, but I've only got one member of Grande Torino in my 10. Uh, I've only got I've only got one as well. So uh, and it might not be the one that people would think, but I've gone for Romeo Menti. Um, just in terms of his uh, goals to appearance ratio. So Men- Menti was a winger, seven appearances on five goals. Um, I know, obviously, very famous Grande Torino story that in the, the friendly gets hungry, 10 of the players were from Grande Torino, but... Obviously, for for a number of reasons, obviously the the tragic one being the the were neighbours play fix his post nineteen forty nine, but international football in the the area where sort of Grande Torino were were in uh, just after the Second World War, and um, and international football just wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Like you say, probably going to players probably play ten twelve international fixtures a year now. That wasn't the case back then, so there wasn't many players who played. Even double figures, I don't think, from from Grande Torino for the national side. Um, but yeah, I gave um, I gave Menti the nod just for um, just the impressive uh, statistics uh, with with five goals from so many few, from so few number of appearances. 
yeah, I've not gone for Menti. So really, really gone in different directions, which is good. Um, yeah, my number seven is... Uh, I'm, pretty sure Ricard- I'm pretty sure Menti wore seven for Toro as well. So it was quite, quite a nice little touch. Nice touch. So, so my seven is Ricardo Carapalese, who was the captain uh, of Italy at the 1950 World Cup, which is obviously quite poignant because it was the one um, after Superga. And so quite interesting that uh, the 1950 World Cup. It was a Torino player who was uh, who was Italy captain. Um, he had a pretty decent record for Italy. So uh, he scored twice uh, in that World Cup against Sweden and Paraguay. It didn't go that well for Italy. Uh, three seasons at Torino, but he scored ten in sixteen for Italy. Um, and I just thought, yeah, and that kind of there must have been uh, that. Yeah, although he wasn't part of a little grande Torino to kind of take the armband from Matt Zola at the national team and um, and at Torino. It must have been a very kind of difficult thing in many ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I wasn't personally aware that Torino had um, that Torino had a, a a player who was captain at the 1950 team. And I was just going to make a shout out here. It's not someone on my list. But it could, um, is, is Pietro Ferraris on your list? He's not. No, so he was a World Cup winner in 38. Uh, not as a Torino player, but uh, was with Iligrande Torino until 1948, and he uh, he played twice as captain pre Mazzola. So there was a kind of real run of of Torino players uh, being captain of Italy, either side of Iligrande Torino as well. So um, yeah, so I thought that was quite an interesting one. I will go at six. So again. Not a recent one. Uh, Aldol- Aldolfo Balconieri. Do you have him? I do. We're a lot higher up the list. Uh, it's interesting. So, yeah, I'll give a Balconieri. A Balconieri uh, I, so he is a, a all-time six uh, record scorer for Italy, which is an interesting thing because Italy is one of the countries with the lowest um, all-time record goal scorer. I think it's Gigi Riva on about 35. Um, so Balconieri, he got uh something like 26 i think uh he won the bronze medal um so the olympics were the big the world cup obviously didn't start until 1930 so the olympics were like as big as it got in terms of football tournaments uh he won the bronze medal in 1928 with gino rossetti who almost also almost made my list um scored in three olympic games back to back 20 24 28 and then he got nine goals in 13 games for Italy as a Torino player. So, yeah, pretty pretty kind of robust stats there. Uh, you got anything? It's the first one we've agreed on, although you've yeah. got him higher up on the list. Yeah, so. I've, he's my number two, um, wow. just with the um, the appearance record, 27 uh, appearances and 18 goals. Uh, and, yeah, the Olympic bronze medal was something that I picked out as well. And, yeah, just wanted to make a little bit of a, um, a combination on terms of the... Um, Sort of the gen- the generations and eras, um, but yeah, no, a little bit, a li- maybe potentially a little bit too high in my list, but um, yeah, I felt that yeah, he um, yeah deserved his place. Well, my number five is the very unheard of uh, Valentino Mazzola. If you still need so... my uh, still need my number six. Oh, sorry, sorry, Holy sorry, days. sorry. I, thought, uh, I, I was I, thought... I was just doing some last minute research, but um, it could be another controversial one. Um, because, and I think it's probably a um, uh, <laughs> maybe a, more of a, a statement as well. Um, so in terms of the Oriundi, um players who play for 
um, Italy, who previously played for another um, national team. So uh, it is uh, Giulio Libanati, um, who was actually the first um, uh, Oriundo to play for the national side. Um, so he originally played for Argentina, which is the place of his birth. Um, and then he made 18 appearances and uh, uh, 18 appearances and 15 goals for the national team, uh, 17 appearances of, of which were for Torino. Well, we're getting the hang of it now because he's on my list. He was number four. Uh, yeah, and he won the he won the Copper America with um, with Argentina. And then yeah, there was just um, just that era in the twenties and thirties where they had these guys who just scored an enormous amount of goals for Torino. So he's one hundred and fifteen, two hundred and thirty eight games. So I th- yeah, I think you've said it all. He he was my number four. Um, so my number five. Uh, as I said, is the little herd of Valentino Mazzola. The reason I went for Mazzola is that during the era of Il Grande Torino proper, there were only 10 national team matches and he played in all 10 ah. and and um, was the only one, I believe, and was captain five times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't think there's much more to say about Mazzola, but obviously there's a nice nice synergy with the, with the other Torino captains around him so who do you have at five uh so five i've got renato zaccarelli um 25 appearances and two goals uh again not before um a little well a lot before my era um but he's somebody who i think that if you ask a lot of uh non-torino fans you might recognize him from torino and italy which is maybe potentially what this purpose, purpose of this game uh, of this sort of list was players you don't Automatically uh, associate just with Torino, but also the national team as well. And I think Zaccarelli would probably be one of those. Yeah, uh, Zaccarelli's probably been a bit harshly treated. He's uh, not on my list, although he was a kind of very consistent presence for uh, for, it, for a long for for a decent period and scored in the nineteen seventy eight World Cup against France. And yeah, it's kind of a lot of these Torino legends. Uh, you got your, your Zaccarellis, Pulicis, uh, Ferrinis. Uh, even Dosenas to a point, um, never quite, um, never quite had the same success at national team level, despite getting a, a decent number of caps. But uh, yeah, no, I think Zaccarelli's a, a good shout. It's just one of those players you can see in the in the old sticker books in the um, yeah. in in the Italy shirt as well. We didn't make my didn't make my list. Um, I think we'll take a short break before the top three. Uh, Libonati was my four, so he's gone because we've discussed him. So before we get to my top three, who's your four? Uh, so my four is Giorgio Farini. He's um, my two, he's my number two. He's your number two. So uh, well, Farini, I... Farini, Farini started this section of the pod as well with the with the that clip audio clip from the. Uh, so I would let we'll wait for we'll wait for you to do your analysis on Farini as your number two, and then I will uh, I can then chip in there. Okay, um, well, I'm feeling mischievous. It's just, we um, we didn't plan going into a into a third into to another interlude, but I think playing in that Bellotti penalty into the uh, <laughs> into into part three, the, and, the one he scored and, or the one he missed. Uh, oh, you could do you could do either. Surprise <laughs> me. And Pickford saves. He read it right. So I have no idea if Rob has just played in a clip of Andrea Bellotti scoring or missing a penalty in the, in Euro, what was it, 2020, 2021? Um, 
But without, yeah, down to the final three stories. So at number three, I have Ciccio Graziani, who we've we've kind of already discussed. Um, yeah, the most appearances and goals as a Torino player for Italy, despite um, maybe not being in, in certainly in terms of the curve of Maratona, not being certainly the the golden boy of the of 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 the famous strike partnership. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Grazia, no one. Until Bellotti, really, no one got anywhere near Graziani, and um, Bellotti didn't get quite that close in terms of in terms of goals either. Um, and there's just a few. He was a 1982 World Cup winner um, as well, but as a Fiorentina player, uh, playing as a wide forward, uh, scored in that tournament against Cameroon as well. Um, and then, yeah, just a very kind of consistent presence for the national team for 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 a kind of good decade, really. Um, so yeah, I don't think as much as Graziani, when I lived in Italy, Graziani was a, they had some kind of reality TV show. Um, he always came across as a little bit, he never came across as being particularly likable. Whereas Pulici has always been very, very likable and always had that. He's had a bit of a low, more of a kind of low key persona post retirement, whereas Graziani was definitely a, a kind of TV celebrity for a while. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Pulici's just always, always has had the the kind of yeah hearts of Torino fans a little bit more. Yeah, I think I may have taken the uh, this list a little bit other than the bottom list. The top list is maybe a little bit too literal. So Graziani is my my top. Um, so he's my number one. I just think the most appearances, most goals for um, Italy whilst being a Torino player, uh, it probably merits merits that place. Um, like we were saying earlier about uh, about Muzi. Um, there, Graziani, I know he wasn't playing for Torino at the time, but yeah, he, he came off in the 82 World Cup final for only seven minutes as well. So this sort of thing about players who are um, linked to the um, for, to Torino and in the national side, um, maybe not being able to sort of complete a, complete a, a full game, but it might be something we, we, we discuss on uh, throughout the list as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, again, I sort of take on board your... Um, sort of comparisons between Pulici and Graziani, which I think is natural given their sort of uh, relationship as strike partners for for Torino around a similar similar period. But uh, yeah, for me, Graziani would be would be the the mo- number one on this list. So who I'm getting a bit sidetracked, but are you not sidetracked? <laughs> confused? Are you, have you got have you done your number three? Who have you got? Uh, so my so number three is uh, Giuseppe De Sena. Giuseppe to say, yeah, that's uh, again going back to Torino players going to World Cups and not playing. But, yeah. yeah, so yeah, World Cup winner um, and didn't play uh, despite being given the number ten shirt. Yeah, I mean, Tosena was a mainstay of the national team for um, for quite a while, um, but yeah, they kind of yeah when it when it when it came. When it became Italy's time, it's a shame he didn't even get a minute of football, which I guess is a reflection of football at the time. Didn't have five substitutions and the same kind of rotation uh, within the squad. But De Sena was, yeah, I thought when I started this list, De Sena would definitely be in it. But yeah, he didn't didn't make the cut for me. Oh, wow. um, just I think, despite the caps and despite being the World Cup winning squad, I just felt there were there are there are other stories there. Uh, but definitely a good shout out. Um, so number two. Um, so, so your so, three, so your three is Graziani, and uh, yeah, and, and my your, two, is, and your two is Farini. Farini, have we given? Have you given your number one? No. Is this somebody who's not on my list. Yeah, 
<laughs> I don't know. Have you given your number two? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. My number one is uh, yeah. My number one is uh, Simone Barone. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Giorgio Farini. So he only got seven caps. Uh, he didn't score, but uh, he had two. It's, so this is the contrast. A lot of Torino players had decent um, careers with Italy without ever. A lot of them, a massive amount of them, didn't play much in major tournaments despite being part of squads. Pulici went to two World Cups and didn't play. Uh, I think he was in 1970, 1974, or, or seven, sorry, 74 and 78. Um, Dosani, we talked about, and I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a few others who of, of that era who made squads and just yeah made up numbers. Uh, so Farini went to Chile in 1962, uh, really upset the British commentator and the BBC because um, he was sent off. Uh, it was a match Italy and Chile, wasn't it? And was it yeah. Mario David as well got sent off or was involved in a, in what became the Battle of Santiago and Farini was sent off for seven minutes, refused to leave the pitch, needed a police escort. And yeah, I mean, that became one of the kind of iconic, infamous World Cup moments. I mean, even when I was growing up as a, as a kid, I was quite familiar with that with that story and those scenes and then becoming a Torino fan and becoming familiar with Torini. And then, yeah, Thorini, for Thorini, only to get seven caps. But he was obviously punished for quite a few years for that incident. He didn't reappear until around 1968, where he only played the semi-final and the, f- the final, which Italy won, went to a replay and he only played the first match. Uh, but did win uh, one of limited number of Torino players. I think Salvatore Sirigu, Andrea Bellotti, Ferrini, uh, Lido Vieri was in part of 1968 squad. Uh, there may be others who've won uh, uh, Major Sword of Italy as a Torino player. Yeah, I just think Ferrini, A, yeah, to have had such a kind of short Italy career, but pack those two things in is is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, the the notes I've got is Battle of Santiago and '68 um, final there. So, yeah, I think that that sums up. Like, say, I think that's a surprising thing to see that that Farini only plays seven appearances, and like, say, one one at least one was uh, in the '68 World Cup, and then at least two were in the '60. Uh, sorry, <laughs> at, least, at least one was the '62 World Cup, and then uh, at least two was the '68 uh, European Championship final, uh, European Championship. So. Um, it showed that the majority of his um, appearances would have been in major tournaments, which is, yeah, like I say, the opposite of, of what, what happens with players now where there's so many friendlies and Nations League and qualification games, that's where they, they get their majority of caps from. So who was your two? Uh, Balanchieri. Okay, that's right. Uh, so before I do my, my number one, just an honourable shout-out. So I mentioned Simone Barone, who arrived at Torino as a... World Cup winner and then only played made one cap as a Torino player. I was stunned when I checked this. Torino was the team he played most for in his career. Oh wow. Eighty two appearances. Yeah. He was just so bad, wasn't he, for <laughs> for, for so many of them. But, um, nothing there, there was nothing more peak Cairo than yeah. uh Italy winning the World Cup. Uh at the set and like and that summer Torino got promoted. So he was like, well let's make a big uh, statement signing. Let's sign the player. Uh, let's sign a player from the Italy World Cup winning squad, and Simone Baroni was the player he chose. Incredible, yeah. Um, and then I wanted to give an honourable shout out for Enzo Berzo, who was a bit of a Torino stalwart, uh, but only made one cap for Italy. 
uh, as a player, but would go on to coach Italy at three World Cups, uh, win the World Cup in 82, coach Italy 88 times, did coach the Torino youth team. I really weird about Berta, I didn't realise this. He never coached at club level. He coached for Prato for a few months, Prato for a few months and the Torino youth team, um, but was kind of a, a, a very famous Torino defender from the 60s. And so that I thought was a nice link. But you got any idea who my number one is? Uh, I mean, the <laughs> might, might be used to pauses on this podcast from me, but yeah, <laughs> there might be... Uh... Uh, there might be a pause for me because I'm literally just looking at this now to try and work out who on earth I've missed. Um, yeah, I've, I've got no so, idea. It's, it's Simone Zaza time. No, <laughs> uh, it's a uh, um, no, my number one is Vittorio Pozzo. Um, uh-huh. so there's a few, a few things about Pozzo, okay? Born in Turin, <laughs> um, coached Italy 1930, 1934, 1938. Um, won two of those World Cups, certainly the 1934 one. Um, yeah, the the kind of general feeling is there's no way Italy wouldn't have won the wouldn't, wouldn't have won that World Cup. Um, and then the 1950 World Cup, and he was he became a journalist for La Stampa, and went out. Um, uh, yeah, went out as a as a print journalist. Um, and then in between, obviously, he had the story. Uh, he was the person who identified. The bodies at Superga, obviously, um, he knew a lot of the players, having coached them for the national team as well. Uh, Pozzo, uh, there's a few, kind of few things I wanted to say on, on Pozzo as well, is that he was obviously coach of Italy during the fascist period, and his there's there's a lot of differing opinions on whether Pozzo, uh, Pozzo's kind of political views during that time, whether he was just a bit of a, a puppet for the regime. He certainly didn't, unlike um, unlike Bruno Neri, who mentioned it earlier, he certainly never kind of, um, he certainly always went along with orders, should we put it that way. Uh, some people have called him a reluctant fascist by association. Others, um, I was reading something, uh, a piece that Brian Glanville did that, that yeah, doesn't ever think Pozzo was, was a fascist. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's kind of evidence that, that post-fascism, he did, you know, he he worked with the National Liberation Committee and 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 things like that as well. So, yeah, I mean, Pozzo is somewhat had a bit of a sword reputation, whether rightly or wrongly. I mean, the, the things I discovered, he he studied in Manchester. I went, I put, went to university in Manchester. I don't think it was quite. I don't. I don't think he was going to the student union, but. Um, in the in the early 1900s, but um, yeah, he spent he had a spell in Manchester as a student. Is this just I your that, is this your is this your starting moment for your Victoria Pozzo autobiography, uh, Peter? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he went to the. I don't think the Hacienda nightclub was there was there then. Um, but yeah, and I just felt this came late to me. But there's a, there's a few other things I didn't realize. These did you know that the Stadium Torino playing today was inaugurated the Stadio Benito Mussolini in the 1930s, and yeah. before it became, before it was, I guess, left abandoned and uh, Torino moved to the Deli Alpi in the early 90s, it was the Stadio Comunale Vittorio Pozzo for a few years. Yeah. Um, and he played for Torino. He coached Torino. He's from Turin. He was from Turin, um, and. Yeah, just obviously for 20 years had a very, it was also a very significant person in Italian football at that time and the way Italy played as well. So 
I just think you can't talk about Torino and the Italian national team without bringing Pozzo into it. So, um, as I said, this is about this isn't about the best or or your favourite, but um, yeah, that was a late that was a late call. I, I did have three at one just because I like the stories. Um, but yeah, so I went for I went for Vittorio Pozzo. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah, I think that's fair. And I'm, I'm I'll be honest, I'm quite relieved that I've not missed. Uh... <laughs> a Torino play played sort of thirty times for a national team, and I totally just missed the, them off the list. So yeah, uh, Pozzo did a good inclusion and a, a good way to talk about that era as well. And and yeah, like I say, uh, it's a tricky time to to discuss that with with the World Cup wins and and the fascist period. But I think yeah, I think it it's uh, it's right that these sort of achievements are mentioned as well. Yeah, there's a lot of good books and studies on the. Italy during the fascist period and football as well. Um, when I was at university, I was I kind of crossed over into that quite a lot. So it's, it's something I'd like to go back and I actually and, did my, revisit um, a bit. I actually did my. Uh, I do actually have a history degree. You'd be surprised. I'm not podcast host is not just my. Uh, it's not just my main achievement, but uh, my dissertation was actually uh, a comparison of how propaganda was used between fascist Italy and Nazi Germany. So yeah, if anybody yeah. wants a copy, anybody wants a copy of that, uh, <laughs> let me know. Uh, as long as you're not studying history, because that would be cheating. Yeah, uh, well, bring a copy and bring a copy to Torino. <laughs> have a little, have a little. I'll, I'll educate yeah. myself on the flight. Yeah, yeah. If anybody doesn't, yeah, <laughs> if um, if my voice on the podcast isn't enough to send you to sleep, I'll send you a copy of my dissertation as well. Brilliant. Um, all right, so we'll close with I guess three categories. Uh, most influential Torino player person national team for me has to be Vittorio Pozzo yeah no I think that's fair I'm where he didn't make my list but yeah no I think that's fair <laughs> I, I, was, I was I was going I was going solely on players like I say I took, no, took it's, fair. Little, it's fair it's took, fair took this list took this list a little bit too um, a little did, bit too logically it did, did apparently play for Italy but there's, there's no kind of stats there as well so um, yeah, who who knows? And then the most iconic moment for me has to be the Battle of Santiago, the Torino yeah. captain. Uh, I don't know if he was Torino captain at the time, but certainly, certainly the longest serving Torino player being involved in one of the most top 10 most infamous and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, get the, get the BBC, <laughs> BBC's blood ball moments is always, always good fun. So it's got to be Torino. And then the last one best Torino player for the national team that is a difficult one and I'm going to go quiet while I think about it and let you go first because that's the kind of guy I am you're just going to come in you're going to sweep in with an Alessio Churchy I'm stunned Alessio Churchy didn't make your list because 13 caps for Torino this yeah, was he after... didn't score well and he wasn't really, yeah he wasn't particularly great I, mean, I, love, I do love myself for Alessio Churchy I mean there is a chance that maybe the best player isn't even mentioned on this list from either of us Matteo Damian Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Matteo Damian. Sorry, thirteen appearances. Yeah. Thirteen appearances. Still, still, um, still in the played in the Champions League final as of last season. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. The other one did, we did bring up was Gigi Moroni, who um, uh. Played in the night, kind of for Italy, slightly um, infamous nineteen sixty six World Cup as well. He played in the one nil defeat to the Soviet Union in Sunderland, 
Um, but he looked really cool in that in that Italy Italy kind of sweat jumper as one of the most iconic phot- photograph with Gigi Moroni in that Italy jumper. Um, That's sorry, a niche award that one. <laughs> niche award. <laughs> oh, you've got to you've got to mention Moroni. Who's your number one? Uh, my mum was Cassie Annie, wasn't it? So I think I've got, I've got to start. I've got to stay to that. Yeah, again, I know that in terms of that, we can have our opinions on these lists, but if you just look at the statistics, most appearances, most goals. Um, I'll tell you what was actually more, maybe less, this might pose a more interesting question. And do you think in our era, there's an opportunity? I don't think he's going to overtake the goals record, but the 47 appearances, Bongiorno, still a young man, potentially if he was to stay at Tuna for the rest of his career uh, and continue on the sort of upward trajectory that he's been on. Uh, 47 appearances, I think that could be something that he could potentially um, sort of, like you say, we, we have so many uh, international games nowadays that even just with friendlies, you get get an opportunity to be close to that. Um, I think the difficulty is if Torino have a player at that level, it's quite hard for us to hang on to them. Um, so it'd have to be a scenario where it was a slightly niche position. Say we had a goalkeeper who... Um, yeah, we had, we had, we, had, we we suddenly had the number one Italy goalkeeper, and all the top clubs in Italy had a you know a big foreign goalkeeper they were happy with. Um, it's not impossible with the number of games, but it might be someone who would have. To, the other thing is players don't stay at clubs for a long time either, so it's quite it's quite difficult to see. Um, I don't necessarily see see Bongiorno doing it. Um, and actually, Torino, if you look at that list, Torino just had a lot of players with under ten caps as yeah. a Torino player. Um, because yes, yeah, suddenly as soon as someone starts getting towards twenty twenty five caps, they've, they've they've moved on or or their international careers finished. So yeah, difficult one. Um, I think Bolotti probably did have a good chance to attack that the goals record from Graziani. Well, if Bolotti had hung on for, he's only won one more cap, I think, as a Roma player. So I think if he'd hung on, I don't even know if he'd hung on because um, I think his his stock fell quite a lot after after the after Euros and everything that happened after the Euros. But yeah, I don't see it happening. Well, it's obviously not going to happen for a long time. But I just, yeah, I don't see it happening uh, with anyone in the current squad. Certainly, don't see Pietro Pellegrini uh, challenging it. Uh, but yeah, I think Graziani is a fair call. Graziani was the highest rated player um, who we've not mentioned. I think we've covered the other categories nicely, and and yeah, give him give him his due as the as the players represented Torino most and, and, and did it very well for the national team. So um very good Rob. Um all right, well that was a that was a bit of a tour de force through history. I discovered that you were a fellow history graduate like me. Um and yeah we'll be back in back in two weeks. Uh hopefully left you with some good content there. And yeah, post Bologna and we'll we'll provide a few updates about our trip to the game against Atalanta. And in the meantime, Forza Toro. Forza Toro.